0: 2021 is the year of the 20th anniversary of Degrassi, The Next Generation. So a whole bunch of Degrassi cast and crew members got together to reminisce, and we're going to talk about it right now.
1: Whatever it takes, I know we can make it through. This is Degrassi Corner.
0: Hello, my name is Carrie, and I welcome you to my little tiny area of the internet that is called Degrassi Corner. In this episode, we are going to be breaking down the Degrassi 20th anniversary panel that happened at ATX Festival. Degrassi's panel was brought to you by Tubi, which is where you can go to watch all 14 seasons of Degrassi The Next Generation for free. You can also watch Degrassi for free on Pluto TV, and Degrassi's uploaded all of the episodes onto their official YouTube channel in crispy HD. Now, before I get into it, here's a list of all of the cast and crew members who were present at this 20th anniversary panel. We had, of course, creators Linda Schuyler and Stephen Stone, actor, director Stefan Brogren. We also had a surprise guest in Degrassi writer Aaron Martin. Uh, the cast members were Aslan Paul, Shane Kippel, Luke Billick, Lauren Collins, Monroe Chambers, Jake Epstein, Daniel Clark, Andrea Lewis, and Christina Schmidt. Now, was it worth the $25 to pay and watch this panel? For me, the answer is yes. A major reason being that the target audience for this 20th anniversary panel are people who are well into adulthood. The Degrassi cast aren't kids anymore, and they're not being trotted out to events simply because, quote, it's just part of the job. They're grown-ass adults with grown-ass responsibilities, so if you want access to them... We've reached the point where it's time to start paying for their time. I'm under the assumption that they were paid to be a part of this panel, and they most definitely would have been paid, I I assume, if this were an in-person thing because the ATX Festival is an event that takes place in Texas. And I don't know if people realize just how little the Degrassi cast comes to America and does events like this here. I think the last time they did something was like 2011, 2012-ish when they did the party with Degrassi, where they came to like five different locations in America, and they sort of did a similar thing that they did in the early 2000s with the Degrassi Mall Tour, which Louis Peitzman, he was the moderator of this event, and I loved that he asked this question about the mall tours. That's an OG question. Like, you have to be a hardcore OG to know that Degrassi cast members went to various malls in America back in like 2005. They go in like pairs. And I almost went to one with Aubrey Graham. Uh, I think they were at a mall in Georgia. I lived in North Carolina at the time, so it was like a three hour, so I was like three hours away. I ended up never going, but it was still pretty cool to know that Canadians were taking the time to come down to America in order to interact with American fans, which are by far the biggest and most enthusiastic fan base of Degrassi fans. And Andrea Lewis talked about that in the panel.
1: I don't think I had realized the impact of the show until the mall tours. Truthfully, well, this, exactly. was like, this was not what this we were experiencing a- at
2: home. No, no. no. right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> so
1: yeah, going to. Um, to see that and experience it. And then I, I even remember going to San Francisco with Adamo. Um, even when we went to Vancouver, Lauren, we went to Vancouver together, right? Oh, that and was, that was like, so fun. That was like, but ha- like more than half of our um, fans there were from Seattle. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it was, you kept having this um, very strange experience of realizing like, oh my God, it's like a cult following in the U.S., and in Toronto, people are like, oh, whatever, I saw her at
0: Yorkdale, no big deal. Like they. <laughs> and even online, looking at statistics and analytics, the overwhelming majority of online fans are, are American. And you're not gonna get the level of enthusiasm from fans up in Canada that you do here in America. Up there, they've had Degrassi literally their entire lives. It's just like, oh, cool, Degrassi, again. And if you walk the streets of Toronto, there's a very good chance you've run into at least 10 Degrassi cast members in your lifetime. Hell, I went up there to Toronto many years ago. Of all the places that you could possibly run into a a human being, I ran into Ace Paul in the subway. But that is another story for another day. Now, when it comes to the Degrassi The Next Generation, which, by the way, let's remember that Degrassi TNG is a reboot of the Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High series. We simply can't go without Degrassi creator Linda Schuyler who's been working on the show for 41 years. She tells us a little bit about how they plan to do the TNG reboot.
2: It was a very exciting opportunity for us as producers because we were able to think about who would, who would be great to bring back from the old series. And then we had a, a, a blank slate Because for Emma and all of her kids, we had the opportunity, all of her friends, to recreate a whole student body and do it at a time when the internet was just starting to take off which hadn't even been heard of when we were um, in the classic show.
0: And one of the things that can be difficult to keep in mind when thinking about Degrassi is context. Sometimes the context of the times is really important to the show. Um, I remember in the case of Mother and Child Reunion, it used to be an episode that I was kind of about very early on when I was a very young fan of Degrassi, but getting older and realizing that this episode bridges the gap between the previous generation of Degrassi and an entire new generation, they're passing the torch, and then also the fact that this episode taken place in 2001, nowadays is 2021. Society and technology, we are all one and the same. Babies are practically popping out of wombs today with an iPhone stuck to their hands. But back in 2001, you were privileged if you had a computer at home that was connected to dial-up internet. So what they were doing back then, at the very beginning of Degrassi, The Next Generation, was truly groundbreaking. However, there were some people who, of course, were kind of resistant to this new change, as Stephen Stone points out. When it first came back, um, it was successful. People liked it, but a lot of people were saying, ooh, you know, it
2: just wasn't as good as the old show. It wasn't as good... they just don't have the the same kind of authenticity. It's a little bit too glossy. It's it's different. And of course, after about a year, that changed and the series really took off.
0: The most annoying Degrassi fans are always going to be the stodgy ones who are like, Degrassi TNG is the best series. All of the reboots are garbage. Yet we know damn well you didn't watch anything past season eight. Get your grandpa-sounded ass out of here. And speaking of grandpas, so they briefly briefly talked about Degrassi High, specifically talking about Mr. Stefan Brogren and him being the first person in Canada to ever say the word fuck on TV. Let's stroll down memory lane real quick. Let's recap the Jeremiah summer, shall we? See what a swell and decent human being you can. You to lie. listen to this. No, you're going to listen to me. Joey Jeremiah spends his summer dating Caitlyn. And fucking Tessa, oh, what ethics, why a hero, let's have a great big hand, shall we? But did you know that there were alternate versions of that scene? I didn't know that they were going to air that version. Um, I think we did several versions where it was like, you know, Joey Jeremiah bonked, Tessa Campanelli, and Joey Jeremiah screwed, everything. And then we did an F-bomb version. And I don't think anyone, I mean, maybe Linda, maybe you knew, but I didn't know until I saw it that they put in the f-word and it was like one of these things where i'm pretty sure i did something like
1: this
0: (laughs) to me it's always really cool to listen to the behind the scenes stories in regards to the technical aspect of the show the process in which they create the show because you have the finished product which is what we always see but there's so much that goes into the creation of that finished product there's a lot that gets left on the cutting room floor that you never hear about alternate scenes being cut. And then sometimes they just completely wing it and it works out. And they've done that quite a bit with characters on the show. It's surprising to find out in this panel that uh, Marco Del Rossi is a character who, when Adamo first joined the show, you're, everybody remembers his first episode. I don't think he had any lines in that episode. It's the episode where Spinner and Jimmy, they're doing the whole breakdancing battle, and you see Marco there, and he ends up winning the contest. Well, at that point in the show, they didn't have a definitive role for him as, quote, the Marco character.
2: Marco was maybe just created after meeting him. I, You know, maybe uh, Aaron could speak you're absolutely right, Lauren. Um, it's really interesting because some of the characters we went out and we, we knew exactly who we were looking for and we tried to find them as like Shane talks about with, with his character. We knew, we knew, we'd found you, it was just <laughs> Some of you, you know, we thought, well, oh, they could go that way, it could go that way. And with Adamo, We really liked him, but we didn't have an existing character written. And in fact, if my memory serves me correct, Aaron, I think we just brought him in as a break dancer for one episode. Uh, Because I remember we were we we had him play that role. And meantime, we had also um, written the character of Marco. I think maybe Aaron, that was you were the first one to write Marco. I don't remember. And we were auditioning for Marco. And we hadn't even considered Adamo for it. And then we watched Adamo in the rushes from, I think it was some kind of Halloween special or something. I don't remember. And we thought, oh my gosh, he could be our Marco.
0: Continuing to look at characters on Degrassi, Christina Schmidt played Terry McGregor on the show. And I really love what she said about Terry's character and about how she's come to realize the impact that playing a character who is in an abusive relationship with Rick, how her role has helped so many people over the years and still helps people to this day.
2: At that age, especially, I wasn't even aware of relationships actually being like that. And at the time, I'd done a little bit of research into um, relationship abuse and domestic abuse. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a real thing. And... That was intense. That was very, very, very intense, especially channeling that actually happens to people. And till this day, I'll still get messages um, saying how impactful um, being Terry and and helping them through the same situation in their real life. So it was absolutely wild and very intense.
0: Several of the Degrassi cast members reiterated that they do research on various topics that they're not familiar with when, say for instance, Craig is bipolar, so Jake Epstein did research on bipolar disorder. And as you heard, Christina, she did research on domestic abuse. And while being a part of these storylines impacts the viewers, sometimes the impact is also felt in the real lives of these actors as well. One of my favorite moments from this panel is Monroe Chambers talking about the impact of Adam Torres' storylines on him and his real life. Something for me that entered my personal life that I had no reference for, I had no information, was Adam's storyline and um to be a part of that with Aslan, and to really dive deep in that research and understand something that was completely foreign to me and now to have a family member who is transgender. Um it really educated me and I really hope that you know from my personal experience of learning from you know to get into the character and just acceptance and and really understanding that. I hope the audience really understood that as well. So for me, it was it was huge for what I didn't realize was gonna happen later on in my life. And to be honest, I was in the exact same position as Monroe at the beginning of season 10. Before then, I had never heard the word transgender before. But I'll tell you what, I learned a lot, simply because Adam Torres existed on Degrassi. And this is what we're talking about when we say that representation in media matters. That it's important to have all different types of people represented in the media that we consume beyond just being the most basic of stereotypes. And we can't leave out what both Aislinn Paul and Luke Billick said about Adam and their tributes to Jordan Todesey, who put in a lot of time and a lot of effort into making a character like Adam feel so real and so relatable.
1: I think I was always deeply, deeply impressed by what Jordan brought to the table because She was also very young when she was cast and she walked in, did the work, did the research, brought so much sensitivity and thoughtfulness to the part. And in ways that some other people might just go for what's very stereotypically male. I think she was so conscious of making Adam a fully rounded guy and have like more sensitive moments, have funny moments, have like be a full person because that's the best way to honor Adam as a character. And I think she did such a wonderful job. It was such an honor to be able to witness her work. And I felt so protective over that character and, and really grateful that I got to be part of those storylines.
2: Kind of to tag on with what Aislin was saying is that when you were working with Jordan and you were doing these scenes, it wasn't like it was a character being betrayed. Jordan was living this and being on set, it was kind of infectious. And we all kind of just all dove right in with her. And yeah, no, it was it was a pleasure to be on set. I look back at those, those scenes that we had together and kind of like what Monroe was saying, it sets you up for knowledge to go forward into the future. And I think that's one thing that Degrassi did so well, um, especially for like younger people. Like we were all so young.
0: There's something that Luke says there that's really important. He points out that the actors on the show... They were so young when they were filming the show. And the reason for that is Degrassi is always cast age-appropriate. That is the one thing that separates Degrassi from an overwhelming majority of teen dramas. And Linda has been preaching this for well over 20 years.
2: You'll see in a lot of American shows, you'll see a 25-year-old will be paying a 15-year-old. And there's a lot of good reason for that, because a 25-year-old is considered an adult. And through the union, they can work longer hours. They don't, We don't have to tutor them and all of that. But... What I found is if you had a 15 year old playing a 15 year old, they bring 15 years of experience to the screen. If you take a 25 year old playing a 15 year old, they bring 25 years worth of experience to the scene and knowledge and understanding that some of you said you were grappling with to figure out about your character. Well, the fact that as an, as an actor, you too were trying to figure out where where you stood on these issues and where you stood, it gave you such authenticity and such vulnerability that um, it's something that I, I think I remember one time Team Nick saying to me, you know, this show could never have been produced in the States because we never would have done it with age-appropriate casting. And uh, so it's, it's, one, it's one of the, there's a lot of key tenants to to Degrassi, but that's one of the ones that I think has really served us all well over the years.
0: I want to end this podcast on a pretty funny note, but before we get to that, I just want you to hear this clip from Lynn Paul. She is a brilliant woman she is always able to be very eloquent and thoughtful with her words when talking about degrassi and i just really love this moment where she talks about the most important scenes to her while she was filming the show
1: some of my favorite scenes were friendship storylines or moments where friends were there for each other because as a teenager that's what really felt super super honest for me is like yeah you have crushes and you go on dates and like relationships are important to your teenage years, but so much of how you learn about yourself is through your friendships and through people in your life. And I had so many moments where I was like, this feels really special, this scene, where I get to be there for my friend and and I get to support them through what they're going through. And, and I, I was really grateful for those moments too. And I think that's another part of what makes Degrassi so special is that it, you know, we have so much interconnectivity between all those characters. And that's really essential for so many of the storylines and the way that we get to like have our moments in the sun and then we also get to be a supporting character for someone else. Lots
0: of good gems of wisdom throughout this panel. However, there was one moment that definitely stood out uh, and it was kind of interesting and bizarre. So, shout out to Louis Peitzman for choosing this question because it was just so out there. Apparently somebody was concerned about the safety of Sean Cameron because they wanted to know whether or not Sean Cameron was still alive. If you remember, his very last appearance on the show, um, he was having the the trauma where he was kind of afraid that something might happen to him while he was serving in the army in Afghanistan. So an unnamed Degrassi fan, for some reason, thought that Sean might have been killed while serving. And this was Daniel Clark's response. Daniel, people are very concerned that Sean died in combat. Can you dispel those rumors? I I doubt it, I I don't think he did. He's (laughs) totally home safe, you know. Um, I hope not. I mean, does anyone really think that? Like that's <laughs> apparently this. Look, like, this is a concern that people have.
2: I dream that there is a Degrassi reboot, and I'm you know there should be a Degrassi reboot, and that Sean, you do come back, and I know Emma has married you, Shane, <laughs> but. <laughs> I just don't know. That That was one storyline that I just never quite got. I mean, you're a great couple, but I, I can imagine Daniel coming in on a motorcycle and Emma, the look at <laughs> Emma's It just got sold eye. out,
0: Shane. You should really follow me on Twitter at Carrie Degrassi because for the last year to year and a half, I've been kind of vaguely tweeting about Degrassi secrets. Sometimes I am privy to certain information that isn't publicly available about Degrassi. And I've kind of vaguely hinted about things, and I mentioned at one point that Degrassi has a plan for how they want to proceed with a potential Degrassi reboot in the future. Let me make it very clear, there is no confirmed Degrassi reboot, and I know there are people who were thinking that a Degrassi reboot was going to be announced during this 20th anniversary panel. But the Degrassi team, they are prepared for the day when the opportunity comes that a broadcast partner wants a Degrassi reboot. And you'd better believe, especially if it's a Degrassi reunion type episode, kind of like Mother and Child Reunion, where you had a bunch of the Degrassi High characters kind of come back for that episode, you'd better believe that both Spinner, Emma, and Sean Cameron are all going to be in that thing. Especially when you know how much people hate Spinner and Emma, how much people still love Sean and Emma, and how Daniel Clark is practically begging to be in a Degrassi reboot.
1: I think that like audiences saw
0: so much in... it was an ensemble cast they every single person found something in one of us to relate to you know and I think that like if
2: there was ever like a a reboot or a reunion or something it should be like
0: catching up with like long lost high school friends you know like everyone wants to know well what happened you know. You just said, did I die in Afghanistan? (laughs) It was a question, you know, we had to to address it. You and Kendra,
1: Sean and Kendra are hanging
2: out.
0: Sean Cameron is finding his way out of the Degrassi-Bermuda Triangle, and I can guarantee you he will rise from the ashes. That's going to do it for this episode of Degrassi Corner, talking about the 20th anniversary Degrassi panel. Thank you so much for joining me. Nothing else has been announced. However, it would be... Stupid, if somebody somewhere didn't do something else in order to commemorate the 20th anniversary of Degrassi, which I believe the official anniversary date is October 14th. So fingers crossed for that, also fingers crossed for a Degrassi reboot. It might not happen today, or tomorrow, or even this year, but as long as Linda Schuyler and Stephen Stone are here, Degrassi is not dead. And until that day, whatever it takes, I know we can make it through.